Welcome back to the Masters of Modern MMCast podcast. I am your host, Alex Kessler, and it is our Christmas theme podcast episode, so I'm hoping that Marshall or Rick are playing some type of Christmassy bell sounds behind me, and the sleighs are here, and we have Apollo will show up at some point, and at some we'll, point. we'll pretend his nose is red, uh, and we have Becky Bell is here as well, uh, joining the cast. Hi, Becky. Hello. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. Welcome. This is your first time on the cast. You've been on the stream a few times. Yeah. Uh, we Also, if anyone watched my I Hate Your Deck episode, it was with Becky. It was the two mm-hmm. of us jamming some some Plarg and other graveyard shenanigans with like I was playing Luris and he will come up a lot today. Uh, yeah. And, <laughs> so so for those who uh, haven't uh, seen you on the Internet before, Becky, wh- who, who, whom are you? Where do you come from? Where are you on the Internet? <laughs> I mean, who am I? Uh, I am Becky without ac so just b-e-k-y most commonly you can find me as becky bear most places um i'm an artist a designer i like magic the gathering i like a lot of video games um right now a lot of riot games but i spread out between a lot of different things and do a little bit of casting for different esports and I just really like like strategy and being able to talk about games. And I love that we're moving into a society where games are something that people commonly talk about is the gist of me as a human being. Yeah. And well, I mean, this is a podcast about talking about a game. Uh, so welcome to the perfect place. Um, so, yeah. So specifically talking about ca- today, we're talking about casting a little bit. We're talking about the NRG uh, Magic Tournament Series, uh, which is a tournament series that has been happening recently in the mm-hmm. like wake of the badness of the before times and Magic Pro Play basically disappearing uh, alongside the SEG series kind of slowing down. It seems to be the tournament series right now that's doing the most at like foster a coverage environment. And you've been doing casting for them, or at least you did this last weekend. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I've been doing casting for them kind of a little bit through. I did some things before the pandemic, too, but kind of just like starting off. I guess a lot of my casting started off like when the pandemic kind of hit, like when people were talking about COVID being a thing, but it wasn't like really in the United States yet. So it's weird to kind of think about it like that, but uh, just friends with some people around the energy series. And I originally started casting for the VML and then just got into casting with them as well. And Joe is a great person to cast with. I personally really like that. He has a lot of knowledge about like older format so knows a lot about obviously legacy and modern and has a lot of knowledge from a time where i just didn't play magic at all and we're obviously two very different people and like in a world without magic probably would never in a million years interact (laughs) but as somebody else like talked about this for something completely different but like one of the beautiful parts of magic is that it is like something where two completely different people can be brought together and i think that like joe and i's casting styles works so well together because we are so different and having that common bridge be magic is just kind of really cool so it's been a great time casting with the nrg series they've been around for uh i believe norman mentioned that it is seven years old okay and it's been going so it's been going on for a long time but they are starting to like kind of reach this level that is starting to become big and reaching for bigger so 
And and before we get too deep into that, we do we'll we'll do some throw up the sponsors, but that's a little preview of what we're talking about today. Um, so this episode is uh, if you click the link below, there's a TCG Player link. If you are going to buy anything from TCG Player, please click on that link beforehand, and it helps us out. Uh, and as well as our patrons, uh, you guys are great. You make this podcast happen. You get the episode uh, a whole week early. So uh, if you uh, well, not a whole week, I guess it's like six days. We record it on Wednesday normally gets posted on patreon by thursday um and the episode comes out on tuesdays so there's like okay someone else can do day math i don't look <laughs> at calendars uh <laughs> um, but patrons get that and they also get bonus content so it's an unedited ed- version of the episode so everything we say or do or talk about uh you get to listen to there plus an extra 10 to 15 minutes of bonus content that me and our guests or ben talk about at the very beginning of the show so even if you like want to watch the video edited with like pictures and stuff but you want to hear like what we talked about ahead of time there's like it's all at the beginning 10 minutes today we talked a lot about um like streaming services and the Mm -hmm. witcher and wheel of time and arcane and like how different shows are released in stranger things as i'm wearing a stranger things shirt i realized i didn't even realize i was wearing this when we were having that conversation i should have been more (laughs) on top of it but you can go listen to all of that um as well as um if you want, like, you know, last week's episode, we had Andrew Brown on. We talked a lot about play design. If you want to hear all of the things he was like, I'm sorry, I can't talk about that. Like all of the questions he refused <laughs> to talk about. All of those are in the Patreon version exclusive episode. So you can check that out. Oh, uh, this and, is probably way more exciting than mine, but. Well, it's a lot of like <laughs> no's, right? Like it's a lot oh, of okay, not yeah. content, but you can like read between the like not content. So, yeah. you know, what questions won't he answer? Specifically, one of them was not nothing about Hogak. He would he refused to answer Hogak questions. I mean, that's fair. <laughs> I don't want to answer Hogak questions. So, <laughs> Becky, why did why did you design Hogak? Why did you make it happen? I'm now putting that on you. Apparently, yeah, you can you can put that on me. I have nothing to do with Wizards of the Coast game design, but I will take I will take the fall for Hogak existing and being banned <laughs> and the subsequent two months. I mean, we everyone like makes fun of like uh, Eldrazi Winter, but I, the summer of Hogak, I think, is much uh i think i think the problem with eldrazi winter versus hogak is like interesting because eldrazi winter was kind of they made a policy of when they would ban cards and then they mm-hmm. got screwed over by like them not allowing themselves to ban a card after a pro tour and yeah. with four modern gps happening where everyone knew what those gps were going to be and they just couldn't do anything about it versus yeah. hogak which was much more of like, oh, you can ban this card at any point, but you're tr- really trying not to ban a Modern Horizons card, so... You're really not wanting to go back on this, which I, I do understand, and I understand also that like a lot of times in a format, if there is, like at the start of it, somebody's like, oh my gosh, this card is really strong, and everyone's like, oh, this card is really strong, and sometimes that happens, and then eventually it falls off, like something is found that is a good solution to that card or that strategy... And it just takes a little bit of time for like the metagame to correct itself. But then sometimes that's not the case. Uh, good examples also are just like with Oko and with Omnath. So right, it, right. It, it happens. Sometimes it can be fixed. Sometimes it can't be fixed. I think, and I think like there is a happy medium. And, and we talked a lot about less with Andrew actually and more like in the weeks before that about like, does the format, is it good that it gets pushed in these directions? And I'm, Classically, I've been on the side of like, yes, I would rather them come up with cool cards and just be quick to react to them than. Yeah, I um, think I'm with you. 
like we like when we had we had Carson Massey on two weeks ago and like we had a whole conversation on Eldrazi winter specifically. And I kind of was like, I actually think the biggest problem was that they didn't ban it quick enough, but also that just the Eldrazi sets came out in the backwards order. And if they had like pushed wingding mana in battle for Zendikar and then like did processors or whatever, like Mm -hmm. they would have had all of the fall to learn Mm. that wingding mana plus Eldrazi uh, of Ayavugan was broken and could have reacted to it. But we, that's a whole 20 minute conversations in that podcast. So everyone go listen to that one too. You have lots of homework. People that are coming here for the first time. (laughs) Lots, lots of homework indeed. (laughs) And so speaking of homework, (laughs) the last, Uh the last bit of, uh, our our podcast like intro section is we're gonna play a game of trivia uh and so those joining us for the first time great you're you've you've now signed up to bet stuff uh against your will apparently but the way this works is we do this every week and it's a game of trivia becky uh hopefully has a piece of trivia that she's ready to ask me and uh she's asking all of us and we are and i'm gonna go through this explanation so she has to make sure she has a trivia by the time i finish the explanation oh gosh Uh, okay yeah (laughs) uh and so uh she's gonna ask us the question uh we all then have to uh i'm gonna him and ha as i try to answer it you all have to comment it below in the comments uh your answer whatever you think it is if you uh, get it right. Uh, I will like your comment. Uh, and but if you get it wrong, you both have to like this episode and subscribe. Uh, that's the bet you've made by just entering the chat. I'm sorry, you don't have a choice in the matter. It's you know next time read the fine print at the very beginning of the episode. It's next to the Taco Bell uh, burrito box that's snuck in and hidden there somewhere in the beginning. Uh, and but yep. So so this is the bet we're going to make. Becky's going to ask us trivia. You have to comment like if you get it right, you don't have to like and subscribe. We I would appreciate it. We would appreciate it. We would like you to come back and watch future episodes or watch past episodes. But you're on under zero obligation under un, unlike all the people that got it wrong. Last week's episode was maybe the hardest question we've ever gotten asked. Andrew Brown's question was like, this is a forecast card that has the same ending word as this other two drop two two creature. It was uh, something with the pride. Don't don't worry about it. It was in that episode. <laughs> I also yeah, spent like a good uh, ten minutes thinking he said for a four cost creature, not like the mechanic forecast. Oh yeah, that's very different. Uh so gonna give you some li- a little bit of flavor, and you are gonna have to guess what legendary creature this flavor text belongs to. Okay, this is my this is a category I may be good at. Okay. If this was oh. Ben, he'd be destroyed. It would just be, it'd be over. <laughs> All right. A force as voracious as time itself. Ooh. Oh, I've read this flavor text before. It's a legendary creature. It's a legendary creature. It also has two other matching flavor texts. Oh, like there's three different creatures that each have flavor texts that all go together, or this yeah. creature has three different sets of flavor text over different printings. Uh, it's two other legendary creatures have kind of similar okay. flavor text. So, uh, is it a dinosaur? No. Okay, so it's not any of those elder elder dinosaurs. Is it a dragon? <laughs> nope. Okay, so say it again. A force as voracious as time itself. I don't think it's a Praetor because all of them have way too much text. Hi, Apollo. 
Uh, also, we have a third co-host of this episode. It's Apollo. Yeah. Uh, you may hear them barking or squeaking or just staring at us. <laughs> yeah, he's, he definitely is going to stare at me a lot. Um. Do you want me to read the other flavor text that match it? The like the like other characters that have yeah sure yeah all right so there's also a void as cryptic as reality itself okay and an enigma as vexing as life itself it's a legendary creature they're all legendary creatures I I give up I give up I've I have to like all of the comments of the people who got it right <laughs> all right do you want me to tell you do I tell you all of them. Yeah, yeah, go. I mean, tell, tell the original one first, and then you can give the okay, other two. Yeah. So, a force as voracious as time itself, uh, of course, leads itself to only be Ulamog, the ceaseless hunger. Oh, there's three Eldrazi Titans. Yep. <laughs> Avoid as cryptic as reality itself, which is actually probably my favorite one, even though Causes Like the Great Distortion is probably my least favorite of the three. Sure. And then an enigma as vexing as life itself is Emrakul, the promised end. Do they all have they all have flavor text? Only those ones. I think the other printings of those might have too much text on them to have flavor text. <laughs> oh, so the the second the second set of them all had space. Yeah, for flavor text. Oh, uh, but the the first original left. ones don't have room. <laughs> Yep, yep. Too much text happening. Annihilator takes up way too much space. Yeah, that's the they have annihilator. That's the flavor. Yeah, being annihilated. Exactly. Being annihilated. Right. By so, Eldrazi. So if anyone uh got the Eldrazi, then congrats. We'd appreciate the like and subscribe, but you're out of all obligation. You just get to hang out. But if you didn't like me, guess those correctly. Uh like and subscribe. All right, let's talk about NRG. What is it? What happened? What's going on? All right. I mean, yeah. where where do you want to start? <laughs> Let's start in what it is. Uh, it's a All tournament right. series. Is it like like SEG has points that collect over time? Is there pro points? Is it just like prize pools? Does it travel city to city, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah. So it's a Midwest best based uh, tournament series. Uh, they will be having a actually um, first weekend in January, I believe January 7th to the 9th. They're having another big tournament, but on the Friday, the 7th, before the big tournament, they're having their 16-player kind of like face-off between their top 16 players, players who either qualified by having the most points in their tournament series or players who got first place in certain events and automatically qualified themselves for that event. And so that's going to have its own prize pool, and it will be held right before another tournament that is going to be a 10K modern tournament, I believe, on Saturday, and then another 5K tournament on Sunday. So if you're in the Midwest and interested in going to that, and also if you're interested in watching some there's like three formats that are happening for this top 16 too. I believe it's going to be draft, uh, modern and legacy, and they may be adding something else, but for now, I'm pretty sure that those are the formats that are being included for that top 16. So you have to be good at a lot of formats if you're trying to win <laughs> that tournament series. It's, so it's not like SCG in that facet where a lot of their big point collectors get to play in a tournament where they play one or two formats. You're playing like sure. three to four for the NRG series. And and do they travel to different cities or is it all in the same location? No, it's it's traveling to a bunch of different okay. cities. Um, they have 
one that's going to be in Illinois. I believe that that's the one in January. And then there will be another one in Milwaukee, I believe, in March. And they have two other dates decided, but the locations are still to be determined. But they're predominantly in like the Midwest and like okay. the north, the northern part of the Midwest. And and so I guess I, you know, this is more towards the viewership side. So it looked like when I was watching, they had over... Over 800, but like we're like averaging in the thousands on like yeah. viewership. How how was that? I mean, coverage is, you know, something that even when we did the Vegas experience, the amount of people watching was pretty high for just mm-hmm. like anyone on the street getting any bits of content for people to see at the tournament. Yeah, uh, it's been going pretty well and the numbers have been increasing a lot. And every single time that we have cast, there's a ton of people who are like, oh, it's great to be watching Paper Magic again. Coverage is one of those things that is so there's so many little things that go into putting on coverage for an event. And I think it's something that a lot of people don't realize like it's hard enough to get internet at your hotel to work so imagine sure. having to have your internet good enough to be able to stream video and record audio and do all of these things you have to bring the rigs to be able to do that you have to get people to be casting you have to have people who have that experience you got to have people who understand how to like host uh and do all of the like production side even on the computer not to mention all of the other like wiring and technical parts of once you get to the event setting it up setting up a coverage area there's a lot of things that go into it and i feel like every time people complain about there not being coverage for an event they just completely don't understand how many little things go into putting on a twitch stream for a tournament um, right. Well, even even when we did the text coverage thing with Corbin at Vegas, like he was hustling just to get like deck lists and small yeah. interviews with people playing. Doing a full stream production is extremely difficult and and mm-hmm. and has a lot of cost to it. I think that yeah, it's 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 something that's like really interesting to see as SEG or Wizard starts considering on bringing these tournament series back. What does that coverage look like? And are they going to do those types of expenses? Or are they just going to leave it kind of blank as they already were? Like, if you remember yeah. before COVID, they were already pulling back pretty heavily on individual Grand Prix coverage. So yeah. that's one of the exciting things about the Energy Series is you get to see a consistent, at least, effort to make some type of coverage happen. Yeah. And I know that that is something that Energy Series is really wanting to consistently bring it's something that is very difficult but so far that is something that they're dedicated to continuously bringing so hopefully for every single one of these events set up for the new year there will be coverage of it it will be hosted it will be casted and it'll be something that viewers at home can watch and enjoy and it's kind of an interesting also to just like see people going to these tournaments with like their phone cameras and recording their matches at the same time. I saw a few people at Vegas doing that. It's happened a little bit at the energy events too. It's one of those things where it's like something I would have never thought about doing, but if you're like really like one playing a cool deck or you're somebody who has a big following and you just want to be like, follow me throughout the day as I like play this tournament, like people were doing that already for like magic online and magic arena. So I guess it kind of makes sense. He would do it for paper too. It seems a little bit difficult. Like, I don't know the logistics of it. I haven't watched one of these streams. I don't Mm -hmm. know what their production quality is, but it is something that I'm interested in seeing going forward. But I'm also the type, obviously as a caster, I like watching other people do casting and I like watching hosted content that is guided so that like, 
if I am like sitting at home on my computer doing something else, I can have a commentator telling me exactly what's happening. So I don't have to be like fully engrossed in it 110% to understand what's going on. And especially like, there's a bunch of different arts on magic cards. Sometimes I, especially now. So sometimes I don't know exactly what's happening unless I'm paying attention 2000%. So having at least like a commentator or not just the commentator, even most of the time, but like, when you have a production team, you have the commentators and then you have the people who are doing the production and then you have table spotters. And if for some reason, none of us could tell like what the card is, the table spotter could look over and be able to tell and convey to the rest of us. So you're always making sure that you do have an idea of the actual board state when you are watching something like Paper Magic that isn't as clear as MTG Arena or MTGO. Yeah, I mean, like if I were to do a tournament and I wanted just like the stream to TikTok on my phone throughout the entire tournament, I could do that. But like- I wouldn't be able to talk through what I was doing or yeah. what my opponent was doing without it being maybe a little weird, like a rules violation and be annoying. Yeah. <laughs> I everyone. also feel like if it was me personally, I would feel really awkward every single round being like, hi, you're my opponent. I have my camera with me like a good on some people who are bold enough to do that. I personally am not. I would be like. Hi, can I record our match? Yeah, like, right, right. I, <laughs> I personally would not be comfortable doing that. I respect the people who are bold enough to do that. Uh, I just have a lot of anxiety and would be like. What's well, also like, and this is one of the reasons I've like slowed down playing tournament magic in general is like tournament magic is inherently an antagonistic relationship with your opponent. Yes. So like, hi, can I record us playing? And then by the end of this, you might also hate me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I might uh, also crush your dreams on camera. Is that okay with you? <laughs> as as somebody who has played a lot of Tron in my life, I've received a lot of hate for my deck choice. Aggr- aggressive and, aggressive yeah, thoughts. Uh, uh, yeah, exactly. Uh not aggressive words even. Like I've had people <laughs> be like very verbally angry at me, like I've had some wild interactions with people who had no fear behind speaking their mind to me. So it's crazy things. Please try to be chill to all of your opponents. Like I get, I get that it is a game and one of you is trying to win, but please at all points be, be chill. Oh yeah. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. Don't be aggressive. (laughs) Yes. Please. um especially tron players they already are like kind of beat up there was like there was that whole it was someone became like the bad guy on the internet i think it was like last year almost Mm -hmm. where they were like you know merry christmas to everyone but tron players but it was like from like the official cfb account or it was like saffron olive or someone and so like everyone like jumped down their throat for making like the joke that was cliche at that point and like was like yeah. uh, this is a cliche that i'm making fun of a little bit but it was also like on the other hand the reason people were like annoyed was like yes but if i am a tron player who i am i get this a lot yeah <laughs> and i don't need vincent or prof yeah. like making it more common there there is definitely like and it's like this with a lot of things. There are certain spaces where you can make jokes about certain things and it'd be okay. But if you are making it publicly in the face of a lot of people, it definitely isn't okay. You could apply this ruling to literally so many things, but ultimately it's just going to come down to like a read the room sort of thing. And that sure. was the wrong room to be saying that in. Because it's it's one thing if like you were like, ah, ha, ha, 
Tron players are the worst. I'd be like, haha, you're so funny, Alex. Yep, Tron players are the worst. I'm the worst. If my opponent sitting across from me sees that I play like an Urza's land and it's like Tron players are the worst, I'd be like, okay, calm down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now now this is aggressive, right? Like yeah. the and magic players as as like aren't always the best at tone. So like also even if like you're trying to make it a joke, you don't know what your opponent has been dealing with throughout the day. You don't know what you've been dealing with. You don't know how good you are at giving that joke away. So uh, yeah, being, being nice in general, I think is a life philosophy. It's <laughs> a positive. Yeah. And if it's, it's also hard, like I'm going to say this, but also understand why people don't do this sometimes when you can. And if you don't feel comfortable in a situation, like let your opponent know. Sometimes your opponent doesn't mean poorly, but, and if you just like have a nice subtle way to be like, Hey, what you said there didn't seem super cool to me. And like worst case scenario, your opponent is like, well, if, if first off, if you say you're not comfortable and your opponent says, I don't care, that's a different problem. You should be calling a judge there. But (laughs) There are like some things that you can say to like navigate that in a better direction if your opponent maybe doesn't realize that they're being aggressive. Yeah, you're 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 in a position where you are either like if they escalate it to make it worse, you are already in a bad position. And this just informs you that you're in a bad position. Call a judge. If they respond to it positively, then you're just going to be more comfortable throughout the rest of the experience. So like you're the worst case scenario is. You are informed about how negative this experience is going to be and you can report it or deal with it knowing the information you have versus yep. not being in that like weird like, oh, they were kind of an asshole. Am I like dealing with an asshole or am I <laughs> yeah. just taking the joke wrong? And am I just going to like, is that going to tilt me through this game? Yeah. Uh, and you don't want that to happen. So, yeah, for sure. But I also understand like being uncomfortable and simply like not wanting to say anything. And that is also like always an option. The amount of times in a match where somebody has said something that made me uncomfortable. I wasn't comfortable mentioning that I was uncomfortable. So I just simply said, oh, my throat's kind of hurting. I'm not going to talk a ton for the rest of the match. Or like, I'm only going to announce things. You have every right to just like make up some reason to say, I'm not going to be super talkative. And I think like, I would love for more people to do that because sometimes I get exhausted and use up a lot of mental equity trying to keep conversation while also playing a competitive match of magic, which I think is why I've started to gravitate a lot more towards playing mtgo and mtga is if i get Mm -hmm. to like i don't have to worry about like the conversational aspect of magic like it it is a lot easier to play more critically at least for me sure well i think that's one of the reasons magic i think a lot of reasons have happened that magic weirdly exploded during a time that you wouldn't have expected it to yeah and i think one of them is just like there is a library of players that want to play competitively or to some extent that the in-person tournament experience is unwelcoming towards from being introverted, being from communities that are classically not welcome there. Like all of those have definitely hit them and arena and uh, arena. Cause like Moto has always existed, but Moto has its own very large pain points that are less related to like, gameplay more related to interface yes uh, to put it nicely yes uh, yeah i'm being nice <laughs> the Imoto gets uh uh hated on a lot we could be i'm being kind i'm continuing the philosophy from her uh, as an active player of moto like yeah it, it has its ups and downs yeah uh 
But like arena being as popular as it was and like allowing people to be competitive in these spaces, I think is one of the reasons it's magic has grown so well is you don't have to be exhausted and wake up at 8 a.m. to like get to a tournament hall and and then have to interact so with difficult. <laughs> 10 people you don't that 10 people that by the end of your 45 minutes with them are either going to make you sad or you're going to make them sad. Yeah. I'm doing a lot to sell in paper magic, which I do think actually is great. <laughs> and sometimes sometimes the conversational aspect is the draw. And I've met some amazing people and like had some great experiences with in-person magic. But also sometimes I just like can't be bothered to sit there and have an entire conversation while also playing my match of magic. So it's just like a lot of, I guess my tooting my horn here is just trying to be, try to be self-aware. Try to be aware of yourself and how you're feeling. If you are comfortable having those conversations, do so. If not, that's also totally okay. I get there all the time. I don't. <laughs> Sometimes I just don't want to talk. I just want to like sit there, tap my mana, put my card on the table, call it good. Um. So yeah. So so next subject matter. <laughs> okay. Yes. Yes. <laughs> to, please. To continue uh, or or a little bit going back. So um, casting. What is that yep. like? Like I've I've never got I, the only time I've ever casted was I did the like Twitch rivals event, which was less casting and more like me and two other guys would just like stare at a bunch of other people who were actually doing streams mm-hmm. and talk about what their streams were doing as they were playing this like weird, like round Robin arena event. So mm-hmm. a, what is it like? Are there like any specific skills that you like think are important to have versus not important to have, et cetera, et cetera. <sighs> um, this is hard to answer because I feel like it really heavily depends on the game. So I've been casting mostly magic over my time and my portfolio of casting. But then a lot recently, I've also started to cast League of Legends, uh, Teamfight Tactics, and Valorant. And the difference between those games and Magic the Gathering is just like, it's huge. Leaps and bounds. Um Magic specifically is interesting to me because in a lot of typical casting situations, you have like the play-by-play caster and then like the color commentator. And you have like those specific roles a lot of the time and you can have them in Magic as well. But I feel like because the pace of Magic is so slow compared to a lot of those games and those casting styles that were made for things like sports, that you don't necessarily need to fall into those categories. And a lot of the time, like especially for Magic, we are big fans of casters who are simply people with a lot of experience in magic lifetime. So people like Marshall, people like uh, Louis Scott Vargas, so on and so forth. But you could all probably name a magic player who's played magic for forever and is a commentator that you quite enjoy. And it is, that's what makes it very different to a lot of other esports, I suppose, is in a lot of other esports, if you just simply have knowledge of the meta and you have the right energy and you know the right jokes and you can talk fast enough that's really that's really a lot of what it takes but there's so much that is history and insight in magic and there's a little bit of that too in other esports as well but it is especially prevalent in magic simply because of the downtime between actions and i think that that is where you have more space to fill, so a more in-depth yes. knowledge of everything allows you to find more openings to fill space. Yes, either in-depth knowledge or chemistry with your co-caster. Um, having to solo cast a match of magic is... It's possible, but I do believe it to be very boring a lot of the time. 
um, you'd have to be so extremely charismatic and then it would, uh, at least from my personal experience and perspective, be so exhausting to be that charismatic to carry an entire match of magic on my own. So you do kind of rely on your co-caster a lot of the time with Magic the Gathering and your chemistry with that. And that's a big part of like why I like casting with Joe Lissette so much is I think that the way that he and I talk as friends, as well as our knowledge based around different facets of magic meshes really well together and makes for maybe not the most serious casting at all times, but I think makes it a lot more interesting to watch. And it's, I like to cast how I wish people casted when I watch things. So a lot of my casting style hinges on that. I think that that is true for pretty much most casters, unless you're going into a specific situation or event where somebody has asked you to cast in a different style. But when I go into a lot of events, I'm like, okay, how would I want people to talk about this? And my thought process and the way that I go about casting a lot of magic matches is I usually fall more into a play-by-play role. So I like to do my best to, when it is like kind of a pivotal turning point of play of magic, um, mention it. I like to mention important cards that are coming onto the field. I don't think it's important to mention like every single card. Like you don't have to mention every time somebody like fetches shocks. I do my best to, but like I don't mention like every single basic coming into play because a lot of the times people are paying attention, but maybe not giving their full attention. So I just simply want to mention the things that are things that you might not notice if you were multitasking. So mm-hmm. that's mostly my approach to casting and how I feel comfortable presenting my voice over magic is how I would feel comfortable or like to have things be casted. Yeah, I, I think this happens this happens on our stream a lot too, right? Where people overexplain each action and will like people are talking over me. So I'll wait to take my turn until they're done telling their story. And we're like, no, 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 please go. Yeah. <laughs> this game will last six hours if we like like or and and or it'll be boring, right? The the yeah. show gets boring when like the only conversation you're allowed to have is, oh, I play my land and I tap it for soul ring and I tap soul ring to play this three drop and this three drop attacks. Like there's some entertainment there. But if you're like, oh, I played all my mana rocks, or like while you're talking, I played mana rocks and I played this big thing. Does anyone have an answer for the big thing? And yeah. then like and then you just have like a very forgiving take back policy if you're like oh wait i was gonna counter your like mana rock or whatever mm-hmm. or like i had an answer to that then fine walk it back and people just need to be okay with it but even with casting i mean the other thing that I, i've always noticed important one of the reasons like lsv always made like a really good caster is like with magic more than game like league of legends you have to kind of explain why people are doing things yes uh, like there's a little bit of that in League, but it's like you don't have to be like, oh, they're attacking Dragon because you get the gold for attacking Dragon. It's like, oh, they're just attacking Dragon. We understand why. But it's like, oh, why did they not tap two blue mana? And most people like wouldn't realize like, oh, the counterspell in that format right now is meaning this and they're trying to bluff it because they know their opponent will yeah. maybe bubble like will lose if they cast their spell into it. And like that takes such a much larger in-depth understanding of not only the decks that are being played, but like every card in the format, you know what they could be bluffing to like what a deck might be playing that. Yeah. The better the player in magic, the better the, the caster. Yeah. There is like a certain level of cadence that I think is 
lacking. This is I everything that I'm going to say is not to say that I do it extremely well. I'm still relatively new to casting. It is not something that I consider myself to be the best in a realm at by any means. Like I know that I have a lot of places still to grow in my casting. This is all just from my personal experience where I would like to go so on and so forth. I'm going to get that disclaimer out there right now before somebody comes at me (laughs) and is like, you ramble all the time while casting or you have like a shaky voice sometimes, or I get it. I know I do. It's a part of what I'm trying to get better at. And there are a lot of people that I've watched cast who Maybe their strength isn't exact, like they know a lot about magic, but sometimes the way that magic players talk about things, they use so much jargon that it is difficult for people to be watching a game. And I think that there is kind of like this sweet spot of jargon that can be used while also making everything clear to a viewer. And I think that that is a realm where magic players sometimes kind of get lost in with casting and what I see people who are new to casting flounder on or do poorly with the most. Sure. No, that, 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 that makes, I mean, Cedric Phillips like did a huge push on this, right? Where he was like, okay, every deck is no longer called a weird serial name from 1998. It's, we're going to actually like, the decks are going to be called what they call. And I think one of the reasons he did it was more because his casters kept referencing things that no one knew what was going on. Yeah, exactly. When if like every deck was just known for being red, green aggro or blue, green control, then you don't have to like trick yourself into not speaking in jargon. And that, that, helps there right and like in general the point of coverage is to make whatever you're watching as accessible as possible for viewership and the more lingo you use that's so specific some of it makes it authentic right you don't want to totally Mm -hmm. lose the authenticity of what you're talking about um like if you were to refer to people putting their cards into their graveyard not as mill before it was keyworded i think people would be like why are you like it becomes stalted but on the other hand you want to use words that people understand and aren't going to like not be able to watch the content you're making as a beginner or an advanced player. Yeah. You want to hit that spectrum. And this is also like kind of a rough spot that I find myself in sometimes. Um, I'm pretty good at ignoring a lot of the negative comments I get as a result of certain things. But every once in a while when I am casting, I'll make a lot of kind of no duh comments or they come off as like no duh comments. But a lot of the time it is me trying to explain like very basic things about magic because a lot of realms that I've been introduced to magic in is with very new players. Mm -hmm. And I like the idea of a stream being able to be accessible to people who have played magic for 10 years and to people who are just starting to play magic or just getting into a certain format. So I've run into the case where sometimes people are like, oh, Becky doesn't know what she's talking about in this format. And it's like, no, I do know what I'm talking about. Those wordings that I'm using where you're thinking that maybe I don't know exactly what I'm talking about is me either explaining a thought process that a player could have had that led them to make a decision that sometimes wasn't optimal. And I do kind of sometimes like to deflect. I don't want to call a player like dumb for making a decision. I don't want to make it sound like they made the incorrect choice because sometimes when you're in a decision where you're playing a camera match or just playing any match of magic, you make mistakes like, or you make a suboptimal decision and you probably had a thought in your head that was like, this is why I should do this. And it ended up like Mm -hmm. not working out. And I like going through some of those either wrong brain tree decisions or going through some of these 
really simple, really basic comments for those newer players to be able to follow along. And sometimes that results in people being like, oh, you don't have a lot of experience playing Magic. And it's like, no, but I'm trying to make the experience of watching this uh, show accessible for- to people who haven't played a ton. Right. I'm I'm not saying this to explain to myself the rules. I'm yes. saying this because the person you're watching with maybe didn't play standard every season for the last 10 years and yeah. needs to like basic explanations of what's going on. Yeah. There's also like a level of like we actually I like like learned this habit in, in art history class of all places. But like Aww. when you look through art history, you're supposed to look at arts from every single period with the expectation that they could have done art at whatever technical skill level you expect from any yes. other period because often they could yeah. <laughs> like like hyper detailed illustrations that look like the real world have been able to be done for a long time a long time <laughs> and there are just periods of time where it was really unpopular and so the mm-hmm. question is like when you're looking it's like oh why was it unpopular or what were they trying to a- accomplish while also working within this framework of the art of the you know the art trends of the period etc cetera, etc cetera. and in this it's kind of similar like when you watch people sometimes the answer is they couldn't right sometimes an yeah. artist is like got lucky figured out their vibe their vibe was super popular and they couldn't draw a cup to save their life but like they can throw painting at a wall in a way that emotes emotion and therefore they were able to build a following mm-hmm. sometimes that's they did it on purpose and like when you're trying to do coverage you kind of probably always want to assume that the person playing especially once you get to like the land of top eights and pro tours yes like every decision they're making they might be better than you and you're not realizing that like oh they didn't play their land because they were trying to trick their opponent into thinking that they had an advantage uh, and that they were mana screwed so they committed to something and then they countered it because they had like the out right like uh, early on in this podcast when we, Glenn Jones was the host we like had this long conversation where he's like oh yeah I always play commander games mana screwed I like always miss a land drop on purpose on turn three and it's because like I'm trying to next level my opponents so they ignore me for eight turns <laughs> and they think I got screwed in the beginning and like I'm like that's so next levelly manipulative that it, it's like insane <laughs> it is insane it. <laughs> I could not even think about doing that but I also am the type of person who in like my problem with EDH is I just treat every single EDH game like a normal like 1v1 game and like want to get myself as far ahead as possible and then just like coast and then that is not the case in a multiplayer EDH game you should not be doing it, it's it's like the tallest grade of blade of grass gets cut issue right like I'm I'm yeah. the same or like oh I can kill that person no problem done you're dead oh now they're out so this three-hour game that they just get to hang out for is they're no longer playing and both of these two players know they should murder me next (laughs) this is great um yeah but like i I do think like when it comes to like magic coverage there's a lot of times where it's it's always funny sometimes because there's the times where like the player did make a mistake and you're like you're like watching the people doing coverage try and like come up with reasons why that wasn't a mistake because they're like assuming they didn't make the mistake and it's like oh no I forgot that I thought seized them and I saw that they had only lands and so I could have just played my spell into counter magic that I knew wasn't there but like yeah it's it's I, I do think that's better though I think it is always better for coverage to assume the players aren't making mistakes than to go the other way a because like sometimes you'll end up with egg on your face where like they obviously knew what they were doing and you just don't know yeah. and then sometimes it's just the kinder, more interesting way of creating content. Yeah, I'm definitely on the at least more interesting way. And a lot of the times, like, 
when we feature somebody on coverage, we're featuring that person because they, one, have an interesting deck that they've probably played a lot of and probably know better than me, uh, or they're a player who knows a lot themselves. And even if those players undergo mistakes, you're probably going to notice it. I probably don't need to point it out as a caster. And if we all know that they made a mistake and that decision ends up biting them later in the game, you're learning just as much as me. And I don't need to sit there and like chew on this player for making this mistake. So it, oh, yeah. it just overall is a lot of the time better for coverage to just be like, there's probably just like a mental reason. And then just like go down that tree instead of being like, this is probably what led to this suboptimal decision instead of just being like, oh, this sure. person doesn't know what they're doing. Right, right, right. And, and like mistakes happen like all the time. Is, like when people are like, oh, that guy's a cheater or whatever. Like most of the time it's just like, <laughs> no, playing magic is hard. And then playing magic on camera during coverage is, is like hard. so many extra layers of stress that like mistakes just happen more often in those environments and and like it happens and there's judges there and you can walk stuff back if that's like that level of an extent but most of the time it's just like oh i like missed the thing because i was stressed out because there's like seven people watching me play this game yep and i'm an introvert and seven people plus whatever crowd is behind the rope watching coverage looking at me all at once is not a thing i'm used to yeah so i missed a land drop (laughs) yeah i need to be given a dime for every time people scream about somebody being a cheater and it's just human error in chat because that just like hurts me so much because i know very rich (laughs) i would be exactly that's the point that's why i'm saying i need a dime for every single time because it's just so insane to me that people get so into the idea of calling someone a cheater and I know for a fact that there's no way all of those people have never made a human error in magic in their lives. Mm-hmm. Like it, everyone does it. Everyone right, makes right, right. a mistake. And yes, it is like technically against the rules, but that's what you have judges for. That they're there to literally fix those situations and come up with like a just ruling. Sometimes it's not a just ruling. That's a whole different conversation. I get it. Sometimes bad things happen, but for the most part, their job is to literally make sure that like, when we make human errors, they get fixed. Right. Well, and and like there are also times the the times that actual cheating is co- caught caught on coverage camera is some of the most wild stuff to me. Like when what's his face was like shuffling lands onto the like bottom of someone's oh, deck. Yeah. And I'm like, you knew you were on camera. Like you could lose this one game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like it's just like the like Ocean's Eleven watcher in me is like, be better. <laughs> <laughs> like people are not going to cheat often when they're like on camera. Yeah. Most of the time it's like making dumb errors. Yeah. Uh, and then when they do, it's like, you're an insane person. <laughs> and you, and you have to understand that like every single time somebody makes that human error on camera, there's some aspect of them that is getting more flustered by the idea that people then think they're cheating. Right. Like obviously literally probably 95% of the time they're not cheating. But then you start to, like, one, just, like, get more flustered. And then probably as a result of that, play worse because you're just thinking about that, whether anyone actually says it to you or not. So I get it, Twitch chat. You think that everyone is cheating, but you're not helping. And they probably think that everyone thinks that they're cheating, even though they were just making a human error. So Right, right, right. right. <laughs> (laughs) 
And so I, I guess I guess next subject matter because I do want to talk about modern. This is a modern yeah. podcast. Yeah, yeah, We're yeah, supposed yeah. to talk about literal modern. Right. So I want to talk about. We'll get there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We we got there. Uh, so you watched an entire modern tournament for an entire weekend, and the top eight is dope. It was won by uh, Salty Infect. So this yeah. is the second time it's like of the since we started doing you know modern tournaments started coming back recently in these bigger ways. A infects back in a top eight and B like this makes me feel like it has real legs in the format. The fact that it's now been able to win a tournament after in Vegas where it top eighted um, Dominic. No, no. Jacob Siegel is who 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 uh, it did it. Uh, and it's it's nothing mm-hmm. like that. I'm looking at the list. There's nothing in it that's like ex- exceptionally spicy other than just it's a continuation of the fact of like you have eight hierarchs and you get Phyrexian Crusader, which is an insane yeah. card. <laughs> Yeah, uh, it's kind of weird to me. Salt uh, or Infect is always going to be kind of one of those decks where, like, the people who... Okay, so it's one, the joke of, like, people who have their modern deck and they just bring that same modern deck, and people joke about that being, like, the case with Merfolk all the time. But Merfolk has a little bit more of an ebb and flow because its strategy is always the same. Whereas the difference with a deck like Infect is you can have different game plans and you probably play varying game plans between game to game. And there's some games where you don't win with infect and there's some games where you're playing a control deck and there's a bunch of different facets that it has. And I think that that is kind of why regardless of whatever gets printed, there's a very low chance unless we get like a, another card that says like, you can't get infect counters, which we even got previously. Like, from Hour of Devastation, I think. There's Solemnity. Solemnity. yeah. And, like, nobody plays it. Like, it's just not worth a sideboard slot. Oh, so, yeah. unless we start getting a card that, like, coincidentally allows for you to not get infect counters or get some safe space from that on top of also being good against other cards, infect's just always going to be able to show up at a tournament, randomly have its turn three wins, and be a lot of matchups because it's not really like like it has its bad matchups but it also like has its really good matchups and it's going to end up being kind of a lot like burn and, as well and it's and it's bad matchups it could just like punish the bad draw against them yeah, right like like exactly. oh i'm i'm normally good against infect but i didn't draw i think i do but i will say this so i think something that infect has gained is by being able to play noble hierarch into friction crusader mm-hmm. and the metagame has shifted so far to white and red removal spells being basically all the removal that anyone is playing, right? There's, yeah. It's not like people are playing, like Fatal Push has like almost disappeared from the format. And without Fatal Push in the format, like Frexion Crusader fights against Lightning Bolt. It fights against uh, the red one mana two, two that also does six damage that I'm forgetting off the top of my head for some reason. Uh, unholy Heat. Unholy Heat? It, it, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it, yeah, yeah. It, it stops Unholy Heat. It stops uh, Solemnity. It stops, not Solemnity, it stops Solitude and yes. Fury, right? Like, so it like, all of the big removal spells in the format are white and red. So it having protection from those two colors is such a big game. And then if your opponent accidentally has one of their other remove, like one of the few removal spells like Fatal Push that yeah. might answer these creatures, you have four Vines of the Vastwood and two Blossoming Defense. Mm-hmm. So... This deck is going to be so difficult just to answer answers and more difficult than it's almost ever been before in the metagame because the metagame has shifted so drastically to red and white removal spells being yes. so powerful. That, Literally like, just because of Fury and, Sol- and Solitude, though. 
Solitude well, Fury and um, um, Prismatic Ending. Prismatic is a big ending. one too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, and, and because Prismatic Ending is so good, people aren't playing Fatal Push as much, right? And, yeah. and people have moved away. And on Holy Heat, they're not playing Fatal Push, right? Like in, mm -hmm. in Jun decks or Black Red decks here, they're not playing that as much as they are other options. And removal is just kind of cut down a little bit too, I think. Like, well, I guess uh, uh, Counterspell and Force Negation as well, but those are also yeah. not the best against effect because you're countering their like pump spells and they're still attacking <laughs> yeah. you with a 3-3 with three, three that has double strike, basically. Yep. And then um, it's the great part about playing any one of these. Like, I, I kind of love Sultai as just like colors because you get to play green creatures which are just like the best standard creatures across the board most of the time uh mm -hmm. slash you also get to play uh mana creatures so mana acceleration is like literally always been good across magic for forever um and then in the sideboard you get to do things like duress or thought or things like that and then you get to also go into counter spells in the form of like in this case spell pierce and the way that you get to just like kind of change for whatever you could possibly be worried about fighting against within the sultai shell is just so good that it's kind of probably forever going to be like my favorite color combination mm -hmm. overall though i am a like deeply colorless player at heart forever <laughs> as a self-professed tron player yeah which we which we all love <laughs> based on uh no but like yeah i think i think like Blighted Agent, not Blighted Agent, Ignoble Hierarch, giving them access to black really makes Saltai feasible, right? Like they weren't forever. They were just blue green mm -hmm. because being able to get black mana and especially double black mana on turn yeah. two, turn three was so difficult that it, like the powerhouse that is Frixian Crusader wasn't really an accessible option. Now you yep. have that. It comes on the side of a pump spell and you're given access to the ability to just like create threats that are really hard to deal with. And then like even if you're going all in on a blighted agent or a ink moth nexus and mm -hmm. they have this and they have the solitude like you still have blossoming defense and vines of the vastwood yep. and vines of the vastwood in a solitude is so punishing <laughs> like they're out two cards you're like swinging in with this five five at a minimum not to mention like Ooh. it's probably a six six or a seven yeah. seven based on how many hierarchs you haven't played not to mention you probably just have another groundswell and they're dead so yeah. like I, i'm not surprised infect has been able to make this kind of comeback and like is kind of an alternative option to the orza you know the hammer decks the hammer time decks that have been out there as like a hey you don't need like here's another way you can kill someone with a 10 ton on turn two yeah exactly and i think you just like really again i'm gonna reinforce what you've said already in that i think of what is making this the good deck is literally just phyrexian crusader and we kind of saw that in the same fashion with some other decks we saw a ponza deck that we decided to also not call Ponza because it had no land destruction spells. It was just like a red green, <laughs> or it was a technically a Naya mid range deck, but the person had registered it as red green Ponza. And we're like, no, you also have white in here. And also, you have no land destruction. So we're going to not call you red green Ponza. <laughs> but they were playing Storm Breath Dragon. And initially, were, it was it something was... that everyone was like, eh, seems weird. But I was like, but it has protection from white, which, again, for all the same reasons that you just mentioned, is keeping itself safe from all the best removal spells in the format right now. Yeah, it's 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 where you've now gotten to the point where the metagame has become flat enough where you can start looking at like, oh, what creatures are punishing and 
get around the elementals and lightning bolt. Cause like if you're able to dodge solitude and that's the five, five one or the four, four monstrous one. Uh, it's a four, four monstrous flying. Haste. That's the four, four. Yeah. So, so fury can kill it, but it's at, it's, it's at, it's at um, sorcery speed. So you're dodging the instant yeah. speed factor and you're like blanking all of the white removal spells in the format. You're going to go far. Uh, yeah. You're going to go to distance. Uh, you're going to be the Hercules of the story. I love it. It's, it's from it's from Pharaohs. It has yeah. Monstrous. I was gonna say it, it has the nice flavor set to go I'm along on, with it as well. I'm on the right plane. So, um, to kind of round out the top the top eight, you have Salta uh, Infect, Orzov Hammer, four color mid range, which is uh the the money pile as uh, as we've talked about before. Rakdos Luris, which is like New John Golgari Yogmoth. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I'm also excited is is consistently top eighting Azuria's control, another hammer deck, and Grix's Death Shadow. Now, I do th- the other thing, like because if you drop past that line, you get like three more Golgari Yogmoth decks. Well, you yeah. got a John Yogmoth deck, but I think it's probably just Golgari with like some weird red. Yeah, it's playing a Magus of the Moon in the main. <laughs> That's the one red card. It yeah, has the it's it's the deck. one red card, and it's literally just to be able to tutor for it if you're in a situation Correct. where you need it. Which I do like mm-hmm. when you're getting to play like that specific player's version is also playing like Hapatra and Scavenging Goose and just like a lot of those really cool toolbox oh, cards. Yeah. It's it's the it's Birthing Pod. Like I've I've kind of like argued that Birthing Pot has never gone away. It's just like weirdly evolved. For a while, it was Heliod Company. Before that, it was devoted uh, devoted Druid combo. Before that, it was Coco Company, and before that, it was Birthing Pot. And now we're in a world where Birthing Pot is Eldritch Evolution and Quarter Calling, and you have uh, Yagmoth as your win con, and uh, Young Wolf is seeing play, which is dope. (laughs) So speaking about like casting matches too. As cool as I think the Golgari Yagmoth deck is, it is such a pain to cast because it's so mopey for the entire <laughs> first half of the game until it wins. And sure. like at least with some other combo decks, you like kind of do some other cool things and spin your wheels, but like spinning your wheels in Golgari Yagmoth is like I'll block your creature with my young wolf. Oh, because it it uh, often the deck kind of audibles more into a defensive play pattern. Yeah, it's like I'm just going to use Young Wolf as a blocker until I yep. win, and then versus like, because like it, I'm imagining this deck does have the option of just being the beatdown deck because it is just playing like I think semi-aggressive. it normally would, but I think okay. against the meta right now, it very rarely is an aggressive. Deck. Okay, that's fair. I mean, it 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 always has been one of these decks that's like. I'm going to value you out in one direction. Are you going yeah. to try and value me out? Then I'm going to beat you be, by being aggressive. Like that's why yeah. Birthing Pod needed to be banned originally. It was just like too good in every direction. Yeah. It was a combo deck. It was an aggro deck. It was a control deck. It was a mid range deck. And it, did you have a deck that attacked on a specific angle? But I have the tutored creature that I need to stop it yep. for you. Uh, and and I think one of the reasons this deck has probably more than others taken so long to kind of like show itself as one of the best decks in the format to me is it's hard to play. I think that's like yes. something that like, which is, is also what makes it hard to cast. Sure. Right. 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 That's actually <laughs> what I thought you were going to, to, to say is like the issue with casting. Cause that would be my worry. It's like, Oh, I have no way of being able to like help explain what the, like all of the lines available to this player. Cause like, well, and then it's like, sometimes there's like a million different lines. And then sometimes somebody's hand is like, Two wall of roots, a birds of paradise, a young wolf, and a strangle root geist, and some lands. And it's like you're playing basically a draft deck. 
Right, right, right. <laughs> like you like, well, yeah. And like, so the, the, just the option, even if you just add an Eldritch evolution into the hand you just described, it's not like they can win off of an Eldritch evolution in yeah. their hand. They can get to like the next step, but their deck is like built out of like 18 different options. Yeah. And that's why these decks like birthing pod was probably the best deck in for in in modern from the onset of the format, but no one had figured it out. And then once the people figured it out, most people weren't good enough to play it. Yeah. <laughs> like it did well at pro tours and then no one would be able to like actually play it at the right level because being able to know the every single possible line you can play through with a birthing pod in play is actually impossible. <laughs> Based yep. on what your opponent's doing, so exactly. yes, I like. I, I'm 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 not surprised. This is one of the best decks in the format. I'm really excited. It's really good. I'm sorry it sucks to do coverage with. It's okay. Um, it, maybe eventually I'll figure out a way to make it seem interesting, and that's like something that I'm looking forward to. If I'm going to see more of it, uh, potentially just finding a stride and being able to cast it. But for now, it's one of those things where I haven't been able to see like a ton of it. And so it just is, it's a little more difficult and it's, it's just hard to describe decision trees for right. that deck because I, there's think, either a ton or none. <laughs> right, right. I think that would be the way to fill the dead air with this deck from like a viewer perspective that would be mm -hmm. interesting is walking through like, oh, they're just blocking every turn because they're waiting or like, okay, what are the different lines that this deck can win off of? Yeah. Like, it's always the like the fun Kiki G, uh, the Kiki chord conversation, right? Mm -hmm. Of like, okay, if I have a one drop and a two drop, this is and, and I have birthing pod, this is how I would have won. If I had a two drop and a two drop, I have to go through these creatures to win is like maybe a way to fill dead time is just yeah. like explaining, oh, if they draw and knowing this is hard, like I could not tell you all the Kiki Jiki lines in that deck and I played oh, no, it. no, <laughs> I could not either. Uh, but like knowing like, oh, if they draw a this, this is the line that could help them win the game or, you know, is the only yeah. is the only thing I could think of. Um, and then I will say, oh, I will say this uh, for for. A podcast that randomly had multiple merfolk aficionados. Uh, Mono Blue Merfolk <laughs> did get 14th place in this tournament. Uh, yeah. Piloted by Forrest Winstead. Yeah, and Forrest actually is uh, has is known for being a merfolk player. Like, sure. is played merfolk for a long time. Um, did get to cast uh, maybe not a match of Forrest game this weekend, but have from previous energy series events so mm -hmm. have been able to see forest pilot this merfolk deck and i i've also mentioned it while casting um for energy series that i think that like merfolk is coming into a good place for a big reason that you're seeing like spreading seas get played in azorius control it's just that spreading seas is good in this format and you're getting to play spreading seas in the form of a creature that is a merfolk that fits with your Playstyle, so getting that kind of branch into oh, if this strategy is good, maybe put that thing on a creature. Wow, that makes it really good. Also, this creature has synergy with all of my other creatures. Also, now everything has island walk. Let's go! Right, and so right. I think that it's just like a very good aggressive deck to be playing right now because it probably also just like has the most evasion mm -hmm, as well. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, the like the the combo that like Tide Shaper can color screw your opponent or can totally eat a Urza saga. Mm -hmm. And then a Rishid and Doc hand is on the other hand, tapping down their other land or continuing to color screw them yeah. is such a powerful combo at the moment, especially with all these decks that are like, like money pile. 
which is four colors and like being able to shut them off of the right colors at the right time can actually get you to the point where you win the game. Yeah. Um, makes sense. It makes sense that Merfolk might actually be making a comeback. Yeah. It is one of those things where it is just like, you have to be kind of like Forest is if you're going to pick up a deck like Marfolk. You have to know ever. You have to have played the deck enough that you know how to win with your deck. But you also have to know every other deck in the format and know what the best way to stop them from winning at the same time is. Sure, and that and then we've we've kind of said that on the podcast a lot recently, which is kind of the statement of it's better to be a specialist with your deck than to be just playing the best deck in the format. And it was kind of our answer to like, oh, the entire format sucks. Modern Horizons cards are the only ones that are good. I mean, like this is playing some Modern Horizons cards, but uh, like they're not the expensive but, ones. Yeah, well, so, so, is, so is every deck. Every deck yeah, is yeah, playing yeah. Modern Horizons two cards. I don't know what to tell you. That's just the set. <laughs> it, but do I think it made Modern bad? No, I actually think that this is like one of the most diverse and cool modern metagames that I've seen in a long time. And looking at the breakdown of the meta for this event like it's none yeah. of the decks that we've really talked about like it is burn into hammer into uh four color yorian piles and then golgari yagmoth then azorius control and then you kind of start to get into the things that are lesser like obviously burn is still like the most played deck but burn has probably been like the most popular deck in modern for the last like four or five years right 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 over right. like overall in a well, giant like, pool. <laughs> and and like, well, it, Burn's always going to do well. It's the, kind of the same thing. Like you're walking into a tournament where people have to use real cards, right? Yeah. Paper Magic is different than Moto where everyone has mana trader accounts and can trade into the accounts that they need to be able to play in that tournament that day. Or just the card economy is a lot quicker. So if you yeah. want to play a new deck, getting those cards is an immediate process. It's not a like over it's time, I have, I have to, to get order. stuff in the mail and hope it shows up. Yeah. And so... Like people are just going to take burn to these events. They're like, oh, my buddy, like he has his deck and then he like ended up having the mana base for burn. So he just built it to test against and I was able to borrow it and take it to the event. Yep. And then the other hand is like people are like, oh, this is the deck I'm best at. Let me play it and get best at it. Yeah. Because as you kind of said, it's a, I would say it's a lot easier to be a Merfolk player for the last 10 years who just has played against every deck the format has ever existed. You <laughs> learn all of what you need to do to win those matchups. Yeah. Versus being the player who's like, oh, I just picked up four color Molly pile. I kind of like get yeah, I'm supposed to win. And the cards are just so good that I'll be able to beat my opponents, even though I yeah. don't know. Oh, I didn't know Urza's Saga and Spreading Seas worked that way. Interesting. <laughs> I guess I lose well, now. That's a fun thing to have explained to you. <laughs> uh, yikes. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think I think like I will say at this point of I'm of I am of the opinion and it'd be interesting to hear, like, from, from casting, if, if this was as much of an issue, that the companion mechanic is significantly more of a problem than any Modern Horizons card. <laughs> you think so? <laughs> well, I mean, if you look at the top eight of this tournament, mm -hmm. it was two Golgari Yagamoth and Saltai Infect were the only two non-companion decks in the format. Mm -hmm. Of the rest of it, one, two, three, four, four were Lurus decks, and then a Kahira deck and a Yurion deck. So, mm -hmm. like, yes, the Luris decks are totally, like, the thing that's weird about companions is that, like, what decks can play those companions can be totally different yeah. from each other. Like, a, a Hammer deck is very different from a Death Shadow deck, which is very different than a Jun deck, which is very different from a um, Rakdos, well, Makdos Midrage decks and Jun decks, or Tarmogoy from Renin 6 is the difference. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, like, those decks do have very structural differences, but they all get to play Luris. 
Yeah. It's just a much more samey feeling mechanic versus like Modern Horizons, which like, yes, all these decks are playing from those two sets, but yeah. they're also all playing from Ikoria. They're all playing Eldraine card. Well, they would have Eldraine cards and all get banned, but they wouldn't be playing Eldraine cards. <laughs> I think uh, it's it's one of those things where the choices of companions, there's only like 10 of them. And there's so many good Modern Horizons two cards that like maybe it just feels that way right now i also think that it's worth mentioning that like companions are still relatively new and i think that people are very attached to them but maybe haven't grown out of the idea of them we're kind of seeing that with like the is it uh decks that started off with playing luris the like ragavan decks that now have moved moved towards playing no companion so that they can play murktide regent and -hmm. i think that we're just like waiting for the format to evolve and everything still completely situate itself but like Right now, it's easy to go. It's a lot easier to build a deck if you have the extra constraints of a companion and then also get that upside as opposed to build. Yeah. So I think that right now, like the companions are like a safe space to be building in or taking old decks and then trying to build within that safe space of a companion. And it'll just take time for people to be like, oh, maybe companions aren't worth it or maybe new companions will be printed uh secretly i do kind of hope so i think the companion is a cool mechanic oh, uh, i think it would I be want, really cool want, if we had a bunch more <laughs> i want more companions really bad i don't know if i want more in modern uh mm. okay so i guess if we were going to keep all of the companions we have now in modern i want mm-hmm. more in modern i think i agree with that i think like yeah. if if loris doesn't ever get banned like if it's just like someone's like i'm never banning that card what would yeah. you rather I think I would rather more companions. Kind of the same reason I love that they brought in more partner and commander, right? Like yeah. partner was terrible when it was just terrible is a strong word, but bad when it was just the original 15 that were all two colors. None of them were synergistic with each other. Mm-hmm. And so they just became like four color value piles. But then you added the 36 new ones from Modern Horizon or Commander Legends. And yeah. Now what is viable is totally opened up and what kind of strategy you can build and they're really cool and people are a lot more positive on them. And so maybe the argument is just like there needs to be more weaker power level maybe, but like, and probably like either gold actually, like yeah. actually blue red, not, or actually black not white, hybrid, not hybrid. Yeah. Um, that's or, kind of where I wish that these ones were different. I think that that that's, I think I personally like the companions. I like that you have Luris as a companion for a lot of these decks, but they're also vastly different. Cause I think a lot of people, when they were worried about companions were like, oh, if I have to reveal my companion at the start of every single match, it's going to give away what I'm playing. But like, you could have your opponent reveal a Luris and it's like, okay, you could be playing burn. You could be playing hammer. You could be playing Grixis death shadow. I don't know what you're playing. Sure. I, I think I personally would have liked it to be a little more manic constricting so mm-hmm. that you didn't have to deal with that as much. But also it's weird to feel like that's the problem, but also the beauty of it. And so I think I personally just like need to see them evolve through time more, evolve with new cards more, sure. and then figure out exactly where it is. But right now I am kind of personally guess- torn on them. I guess where I'm at is that there was a period where like really only Luris was seeing play a good Mm -hmm. like six months and that was after Modern Horizons and we're now seeing more companions starting to see play with Yurion and Kihira like the Zorius control decks are just playing Kihira because it's a free card 
Yeah. Right. They're like Snapcaster Mage is no longer seeing play because Kahira is worth it more in the sideboard than a Snapcaster Mage. Yeah. And Yorion decks are like two grand <laughs> because they have to figure out how to get to the extra 20 whatever cards. <laughs> um, but I, I, I agree with you that though there are decks like Amulet and Titan, Merktide Regent, um, and um, the Yogmoth deck. And in fact, that all yeah. like are coming up with arguments to not play with these cards. Like, oh, why this deck is maybe better if I don't lean into those those extra abilities that comes with having a companion and that extra benefit. And maybe that is actually worth it. And are there enough cards that exist to do that? On the other hand, do I want Wizards to print a card that is so good in Jund that they have to that they like are willing to not play Luris anymore? Is that good of a card good for magic? <laughs> yeah. I I think it'll be it'll be interesting to see exactly how that evolves. But I think where I am right now, I'm personally okay with the companions because I feel like there's still a decent number of decks and you can still play a competitive deck without playing a companion. I think for a while people were like oh, you have to be playing a companion. When they didn't have sure. that like move from the companion zone to your hand cost, I totally get it. Yeah, they were too strong. Oh, oh, that was oh, too yeah, strong. Yeah, yeah. The, the change <laughs> to have them cost three mana to move from the companion zone to your hand was great and made it so that people did not have to forcibly play a companion. Good change. So I, I like all the things that people are doing to combat the you must play a companion ideal. Right. And and they're not they're not a financial commitment, right? Like the nice no. thing about them is like, yes. like Raghavan is a bigger in. issue there. Is Yurion worth? No, Yurion just you need twenty more cards. Oh, 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 oh you need twenty <laughs> more cards. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> um, but like from a from a like like getting those cards and playing with them, and like you could play a Yurion deck that is that that doesn't need the extra. It's worse if you're not playing the fetches yep. and whatever to get to that. But um, you definitely like Hammer Time. Like Loros is adding no cost to the deck yeah. by by being in the deck, and and so you do get the advantage with some of these decks of just like. This isn't that expensive of an include to be able to play with it. So why don't I try doing it? And maybe the advantage, like maybe people look at, like I have a Stoneblade list that like I'm not playing Solitudes. I'm not playing Kihira. I'm playing Snapcaster Mages with with the cards because like Snapcaster Mages is better at holding swords and yeah. going to the that effect. So I think there's different directions you can take this. And it is possible that companions, I do think that if we are, if companions are not too powerful and they do continue, then we should get more though. I like that idea. Yeah. Uh, no. I think they should be weaker. I think yes. they should be more specific. I think there should be like a blue, white, legendary four drop merfolk that like does just gives merfolk plus one, plus one or whatever. Mm -hmm. And that would be, and like, but every creature in your deck has to be a merfolk is like a card you can print. And would be cool. And like, I think that's something that's optional. And I think Wizards is looking at them because they're obviously popular, right? Yeah. Like, it's not like, not even just like in Commander, they're seeing play. Like, in other formats, they're popular enough that I would be surprised if we don't see more of them. But yeah, it, it, I'm interested to see how the metagame continues to, to, to respond to companions in general. Yeah. I think it's just going to take more time ultimately. Like, it's weird to feel like it hasn't been that long, but I think because so much magic play has kind of been like stunted by the lack of paper magic. A lot of people just like haven't been in the space to build new things. And so we're seeing just like a lot of the same thing. I mean, that's also kind of just modern is modern is a lot of the same thing over and over again. And so I think it's just going to take some time for people to be able to find out what the 
good cards are or the cards that people want to play for the next 10 years because sometimes that's just a modern deck a modern deck is somebody that was like i'm gonna pick up these 75 cards oh 10 years later hey they're still legal cool i'm gonna keep playing this oh i have to change a few cards that's all right because i already have most of it right 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 and and we'll we'll yeah it'll be it'll be an interesting evolution to to like see paper magic back and people talking about it happening and how that actually affects the metagame versus like the two years of five O moto leagues that we really had as evidence of what the format looked like. Yep. So I'm excited. So, so, uh, th- we're like, we're now at an hour and a half of recording. Uh, I don't want to hold you for the entire evening. Is there anything else you want to kind of touch upon or are, are we good for the evening and we can do kind of closeouts? I think I'm, I'm mostly good. Just hoping to see more people coming to these energy events. I know that it's a little bit nebulous exactly what is going to be happening with a lot of paper magic. So if you're interested and in the Midwest or interested in traveling to the Midwest, the Midwest series has got to be kind of nice, at least for people like me on the West coast, because it's a lot cheaper to fly to mid to the Midwest and it's less time zone changes than if I was trying to go to something like star city games. So if you're interested, check out the energy series. I think it's a great group of people to be supporting and getting back into some paper magic if you're really itching for it. Absolutely. And well, there'll be links of content on how to find information there as well as to find Becky. Uh, but really quickly, like where can they find you on the Internet? I am at Becky Bear on pretty much everything. Becky is spelled without a C. So just B-E-K-Y-B-E-A-R is going to be pretty much me anywhere. You should be able to find me with that. And uh, I am at Kess Wiley and everything. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much, Becky, for coming on. Chris, uh, make sure you. to check out that Patreon TCG player links below and hit that like button and subscribe. It's super appreciated. Even if you got the trivia question right, we appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> and if you got the trivia question right, you can be my friend. That, that's yes that's really because you really know i'll one. <laughs> uh and thank you so much everybody and we'll talk to you all next week oh well, we won't it's christmas we won't merry, it's christmas merry merry christmas happy holidays hanukkah was two weeks ago merry uh, chrysler and uh probably new year's i don't know if we'll come up with an episode between christmas and new year's so we'll see everyone bright and early uh in 2022 early, 2022 the next word the future like past the future back to the future was in 2015 this is every every day is a gift (laughs) all right thanks everyone and we'll talk to you next time this has been a production of time traveler